I'm delighted to welcome Tokyo-based author and journalist William Pesek. Good morning, William. Good morning, sir. I'm looking forward to hear your view of Japan. And just to remind um, our listeners, um, if any of you have a question for William on Japan, our WhatsApp number is 6899-8518. Now, shares are dropping in Japanese companies that export a lot to China due to appeals for a boycott by Chinese consumers of all Japanese goods due to the Fukushima water release. Also, I hear the South Koreans aren't very happy either. Could PM Kushida have done anything differently to avoid or minimize the backlash, William? Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, you know, I think in many ways we see that you know, government to government here in Japan, uh, we don't do as good a job as we could in terms of regional diplomacy, in terms of explaining policies. And I think that the Fukushima water release story is part of that continuum. I, I do think, you know, Japan makes the argument that risks are limited, and the science to date seems to suggest from what the government says that risks are limited, but yeah. the memo is not getting out. And I think that Prime Minister Kishida and his team have not done a sufficient job getting around the region, explaining Japan's opinion on this, Japan's stance on this, and how Japan is acting to minimize health risks. And I do think that we need to do a bit, a bit better job in terms of getting the message out there and making sure that that, uh, that message gets through regionally. I'm not sure that's happening. Yeah, well, I mean, it was quite interesting, actually. We had a guest on last week, as well as a financial expert, was a physicist, and he was saying that the radiation is actually a lot lower from the Fukushima wastewater than other wastewaters currently being pumped out in the world. And I think he gave La Havre as an example. So, yeah, it, it does seem to be a, a, maybe a lost education opportunity. And it's, you know, it comes at a bad time for the Japanese economy, right? Because the economy is, it's stable, um, but it's not thriving by any uh, stretch of the imagination. China is slowing. So any trade relation problems that Japan's having with the rest of its neighbors in the region, like South Korea, a key economy, doesn't help these headwinds that are bearing down on Japan's economy at the moment. Well, wow. Well, Mark is wrong about the newish Bank of Japan governor, Ueda. Far from exiting QE, Ueda signaled in Jackson Hole over the weekend that uh, zero rates are here to stay indefinitely. Were you as surprised as the rest of us, us on that one, William? I mean, honestly, not really in that I was writing early on that, you know, I think that Ueda was, in many ways, you can argue the right policymaker at the right time, but he faces a system that really is standing in the way of the BOJ having much latitude to alter rate policies. And I think that in many ways, the optimism or the sense that Oweda would come in and really shake things up was ignoring the backdrop um, here in Japan. I mean, Japan has had you know, quantitative easing for roughly 23 years now. Yeah. It's become part of the filament. It's factored into asset prices and real estate prices. It will take a while to unwind, and I think that uh, Governor Ueda is realizing that. But it's hard to remember a time when people were more wrong about uh, a new central bank governor coming in. Okay. Well, let's see what happens. Uh, new data shows inequality is increasing in Japan. Surprise, surprise, that former PM Abe's experiment with trickle-down economics is backfiring. William? Yes. I mean, Prime Minister Abe came in 10 years ago, um, and he, uh, his argument was that I'm going to reform the economy, I'm going to create this, uh, this virtuous cycle of wage gains, consumption gains. What he did really, though, was he just unleashed 1985-style trickle-down economics, and surprise, surprise, it's not working. And Japan's uh, Gini coefficient coming into 2022 
uh, basically increased to 0.57 from 0.55 in 2017. It just mm-hmm. indicates Japan's moving in the wrong direction. You can argue that COVID um, didn't help. But the bigger problem is economic policies that are stuck more in 1985 than mm-hmm. looking forward to 2025. And we now have data to, to prove it. So what would you do, William, if I made you the Japanese financial secretary? Well, the first thing I would do if I were the prime minister is I would fire the financial secretary. I think that that finance finance minister Suzuki has not – I mean, I think most Japanese would have to Google the guy at this point. He's been very, very behind the scenes, and that's a problem when Japan's economy is flatlining and when China, for all of its problems, is working behind the scenes to raise its economic game and the rest of Asia is moving forward, and Japan is still focusing on a weekend. Um, So I would fire the guy. So – is, is that, you, you say, you know, he's not been performing particularly well for quite some time now. Is that fairly normal when politicians are underperforming? They're actually still left in the post? Well, Japan's politics are very factional. Uh, and you, you basically you have the, this Liberal Democratic Party coalition, which has been leading the, com- the country almost un, you know, uninterrupted since ni- 1955, roughly. But it's a very factional system, and a lot of these key posts, like foreign minister or finance minister, they're basically given to different officials to make different factions happy. And so in some ways you can argue that Prime Minister Kishida is stuck with this underperforming finance minister, but I really do think a change is needed. And, you know, when you think about these G20 meetings, these G7 meetings, when Japan is not sending its, uh, its brightest officials to these meetings, it doesn't help the perception either. So I would make a change myself. Well, talking about surprises, I was very surprised when I heard the Labour Union at Sogo and Cebu warned of a potential strike at a key store on Thursday. Labour strikes are such a rarity in Japan. What's got passions so inflamed on this one? Yeah, this is a big deal because this is the first time we've seen a, basically a department store strike in 60 years. So this is a big moment. So basically, you know, 7&I, which is the holding company uh, that oversees Sogo and Cebu, it runs a 7-Eleven chain in Japan. So these are, you know, omnipresent stores around the country. Basically, uh, you know, 7&I is trying to sell its department store unit to U.S. fund fortress investors. And Basically, the labor union is asking for guarantees that jobs won't be lost. And, you know, as we know, U.S. investment funds don't do yeah, that. <laughs> so absolutely. I think they this, do the this shows an interesting mm. tension at the moment. But this is the first strike of this kind in 60 years. So it's getting a lot of attention. That's amazing. OK, uh, the fall of the Japanese yen has continued following remarks by central bank chiefs at Jackson Hole. By the way, my producers corrected me there. I was calling it Jackson's Hole. So um, how low do you think the yen could go, William? Well, I mean, we're at 145 or so now. I mean, 150 seems, uh, you know, seems a certainty at this point. Um, I'm heading to the U.S. in about five days, so I'm not happy. Um, it's, so it's personal. Mm. But it is interesting the extent to which Japan is allowing the yen to weaken. You can argue that uh, Japan's, from an export standpoint, needs this. But from a confidence standpoint, it's not a great time for it. And also with the U.S. election cycle heating up and U.S. politicians like the Republicans focusing on China's currency, the last thing Japan wants, wants is to be part of the currency manipulation discussion. So it is one of those, uh, those, those risky policies. And also, Japan has the highest inflation in 30 years. And so, net-net, it's not really what you want to see in 2023. Absolutely. Tokyo-based author and journalist William Pezek, thank you very much for joining us today. My 